Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. Joining us is Pat Christopher. Pat is the Director of Agronomy at Red Ledges. Red Ledges is a 30-hole, yeah, that's right, 30-hole facility in Heber City, Utah. With winter approaching, we thought it would be great to have Pat on the podcast to discuss what a course in a mountain environment does to prepare for the big white blanket. Pat has a lot of experience managing golf courses in mountain environments. We know that you're going to learn something from his experiences, and we also know that you're going to find some of his stories highly entertaining. Well, Pat, thank you for joining us. We're recording this podcast in early October, and I believe that you're the first Utah superintendent we've ever had on our podcast network, so congratulations on that. Explain Red Ledges in your own words, and what is early October like in your part of Utah? Well, excited to be the first superintendent from from Utah. That's uh, that's kind of kind of a good deal. But yeah, you know, Red Ledges. We're up in the mountains uh, around Park City, sort of about six thousand feet. Uh, beautiful country, high desert. Uh, you have twelve, eleven thousand foot peaks kind of surrounding our valley, and then our golf course, of which we have two, um, is is shoved down in the, the Heber Valley, and it's really a great place to live, a great place to raise a family. Um, a great place to work. So I've I've been pretty lucky to to be able to be at this uh, three thousand acre property for the last last ten years, I guess. And I don't know if that makes me feel good or old, but it's one of the two. Been there for ten years. You were there before golf even started at Red Ledges, right? Yeah, we came in and I was in Durango, Colorado before that. Great place to live as well. But came in and we built the golf course fairly quickly. Um, opened in uh, 09 and we had this little blip in the housing market so you know we we opened up we were ready to go and then we we fell on uh, uh the great recession like everybody else and had to find ways to to get by and survive and and now we're booming um we have over 300 members we have a couple hundred um units built home units and we have a vibrant product and a vibrant membership. So it's been it's been pretty cool, cool to go from from the tough times into to what we really have now. It's some great times at Red Ledges. Two years ago, you added a golf park. Explain the golf park concept and what has that added to your community. So our original course in 2009 was an 18-hole championship Nicholas Signature course. And then we were always planning on doing a short course. Um, with the Great Recession, we kind of held off a little bit. And then two years ago, we built the golf park. It's a 12-hole course. It's the only Nicholas signature course or short course that he's ever done. So when he was heavily involved in the process of designing it and, and building it. And the idea is basically we have a park. Yes, it's for golf, but anything else you want to do out there, if you want to bring the Boy Scouts out to camp, if you want to play football, if you want to have a barbecue, if you want to drive your four-wheeler around, whatever you want to do within reason, hey, we're all for it. It's, it's a park in the truest sense of the word with an amazing 12-hole golf course as part of it. And it's funny because our owner said in the beginning, he said he wanted it to be fun to play and cheap to maintain. That was his directive um, for this course. So it's, it's been pretty well received, so we're hopefully we're meeting both those goals. Yeah, how do you achieve the second part of that goal? Well, it starts with design, and, and the folks in the Nicholas team were really good about that. In order to um, be functional these days, it has to be sustainable. And so it starts by building a great team that, that understand what we're trying to do. Um, you know, the second part is, is you try to, to think about things a little bit outside the box. You try to make sure that um, if you can do work by hand, we mechanize it. 
if there's an area where um, we may not need to mow, we don't mow it. And, and a lot of that started with the design, and I, I can't say enough about the Nicholas team and, and what they did to make it a, a not only a stunningly beautiful golf park, but, but something that we could maintain with, um, with uh, you know, not, not maximizing our input, so to speak. Okay, it's time to give our listeners some visuals. So when you go out on the golf course and golf park and stare around, how amazing is it? What do you see with your own eyes when you're out there working on a day-to-day basis? So if, if, uh, if I'm out there um, on the third hole of the signature course, and this big rock tower about 50 feet above the fairway, and the tee's kind of by itself, and I look across the Heber Valley, which is uh, it's an eroded river valley, so it's flat, it's got a silt bottom. You look across, and if you could see forever, you'd see into Nevada out of the Salt Lake. But there's this big protrusion of the mountains that get in your way, the Wasatch Mountains. And you can see Alta, Snowbird, Deer Valley, Brighton, and Robert Redford's ski area, Sundance, from that tee. You can see the lifts as plain as, as I can see the fairway just next to me. So you're looking across at some of the best skiing in the world. You're in the Heber Valley, which has um, got a lot of that old west charm, a lot of small town feel to it. And and beyond that, you have the Great Salt Lake and, and really the American... American West, um, and that's just one direction. North, south, uh, east as well are just as impressive. So you have this this truly amazing mountain range, which they're not making another one of. This is the only one in the world that's wonderful. And you have all these ski resorts and a river that cuts through it. It really is, I think, some of the best part of the American Rockies. So, Pat, describe your agronomic operation. How many acres do you maintain? What type of grasses are in your environment? What's your crew like? Explain some of the agronomic principles and practices behind Red Ledges? Well, I think, as you know, any good team, uh, any good business starts with a good team, and, and we've been lucky. Um, we've been able to recruit um, some folks that, that know what hard work is, know about effort, know about teamwork, and so, you know, over the last 10 years, we've built a team here at Red Ledges that, that I'm proud to work with. I enjoy seeing every day. Um, it's pretty wonderful when you can do that. I know there's a lot of folks having a hard time finding labor right now, but we have a waiting list. So um, that's the first part of it. You build that great team and then let that lead into your agronomics. But as far as our agronomics, um, we're pretty simple. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of old school. Uh, some say I'm a, I'm a hangover. Uh, I hope I'm not a bad hangover. I hope I can stick around for a while. But, uh, you know, I kind of look at, at simplicity as being wonderful. Um, if you can manage your water and if you can manage um, your fertility and manage your mowing, really good things are going to happen. Um, if you get caught up in the, the high-tech details, the, the, the little tiny parts, sometimes you lose the big picture of it. So for us living in the arid west, um, it's really about managing water. And if we can get that water down effectively, um, efficiently, not only can we conserve water for our community, but we can also um, create a pretty firm condition and, and a pretty happy golf course, for lack of a better word. So I'm, I'm old school. I'm pretty simple in what I try to do. Here we are in early October. Explain where Red Ledges is. Is this the end of the golf season? Do you still have a few weeks left? Where, where are you at in your environment and what you're trying to do at this point in the fall? Well, Red Ledges is kind of cool that way. So we, we're right next to Park City, which, which has the Vale Resorts, Deer Valley. Um, but we have a little bit longer golf season. So we'll start golf uh, late March and continue till Halloween, which is great for us. We get a few more weeks on each end of the golf season. Right now... Although I'm looking at the forecast right now, and the models are showing snow for Friday. But right now, we're starting to wind down. We've, we've had several good frosts. So we're getting to the point of the year where 
the grass is trying to go dormant, it's trying to slow down and, and, and trying to get ready for, for winter. Um, and what's funny is our golf season kind of slows down. People will ask you, well, gosh, what do you do when the golf course closes? And for us, um, it's the busiest time of our year. That four weeks between when the golf course closes and Thanksgiving, um, that's when our, our folks really crank up and, and we, we light the wick and, and really get after it a bit. Yeah, what are some things you do now to get ready for that period around Thanksgiving? What are some things you're starting to do here in October to winterize your golf course? Well, once the course closes, we have about three really big things um, that we focus on, and that's winter fungicides, blowing out of our irrigation system, and then for us, um, protecting our greens and teas from our, our large animal population, specifically elk. But um, and we'll talk about those. But, you know, for us, the biggest thing is just trying to, to let the grass plant do what it wants to do. I mean, over millions of years, it's evolved to kind of want to go dormant, to kind of go brown a little bit, to kind of rely on less water, to let all those processes that will help it survive those cold, windless nights of December, um, let them kind of work for us. And so mowing the grass a little higher, um, trying to make sure that we're maintaining adequate moisture, but really being on the firm side of things, um, trying to make sure that we really minimize our nitrogen inputs. Um, you know, back in the day, people would go out and put down a ton of fertilizer right now. We don't believe in that at all. We think minimizing those inputs at this time of year especially is really important. And it, it not only makes for a great playing conditions in October, but it really gets us ready for those activities that we'll do in November, the ones that, that really take effort and really take experience and really take um, the best of our team for those four weeks. What type of diseases do you have to worry about going into the winter? Is snow mold a problem? And how do you uh, time those final applications? Very carefully. I, uh, uh, my guys will tell you I start watching the weather. I watch it all the time. But I'll start watching it now, looking at models, looking at the Utah avalanche forecast, all the places you can find gleams of what the weather might be like and and really kind of get a little fidgety about this time of year. Because with snow mold, you, once the snow comes, once you're entombed in that big white canvas, there ain't no going back. you got to have that stuff down. And so for us, um, it's about getting that out, you know, right after we close and, and using the right products and, and making sure that uh, um, – we're kind of ready to go for for those snow snow diseases, but it's sort of it's sort of funny. I remember, gosh, when I first got in the business, how many years ago it was. Um, you really didn't have any options for snow mold disease, and um, in the Intermountain West, the mountain courses up to Spokane and Montana, snow mold was probably one of the biggest issues you'd face um, going into winter. Um, your options way back in the day were were fungicides that were better suited for thermometers than turf grass, you know, and then we had PCNB, which was was fine, but um, when I was in grad school in, in, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, we started looking at alternative fungicides, things that were, were safer for, for the environment, safer for the loader and handler, and what we found is these two and three and four-way combinations of fungicides were incredible, and they'd last 120 up to 150 days of, of really pretty clean winter disease coverage um, without really even thinking about it. And so that's been a big change since I got in the business where you can go out, use these wonderful three- and four-way herbicide combinations, and really be well protected um, from snow mold throughout the winter, even in the worst of conditions, Jackson, Park City, Heber City, some of those tough mountain environments. How do you handle your irrigation system blowout? Is it at the same time every year, or have you had to a 
adapt the timing based on the, the conditions that year? You know, it's funny. Um, the last, I think, four out of the last five years, we've actually blown out with snow cover down. So we're out there blowing <laughs> out heads with six inches of snow on the ground. You can imagine that, right? I'm trying to visualize it, yeah. I've seen pictures on social media of people doing that in years past. It, it never seems to fail. You'll pick a date, and you're like, oh, let's blow out here. It'll be a good time. And then it gets cold and nasty, and the Storm King rolls in, and the guys are freezing, and the compressor won't start. All the things you don't want to have happen seem to consistently happen when you try to blow out your irrigation system. But, uh, you know, we've gotten used to it. Um, we want to make sure that we're able to get the water um, on those dry spots in the golf course before – um, we blow out, and it, it just seems like we always get those early November snowstorms that that cover our sprinkler heads and everything else, and um, you just kind of got to be prepared for it um, as it comes. How big is the big white blanket each year? <laughs> it depends. Last year, not as good. Um, I know that because I had less uh, powder days in the mountains than I had the year before, which was really good. So I'm selfish that way. But um, last year we had you know, a couple feet on the ground. The year before that, we may have had three to four feet on the ground. Um, and it changes from year to year, but uh, we're pretty consistent, 100 days of snow cover at Red Ledges, um, which is a good chunk of time for sure. Is that continual? Yeah, yeah. We'll be Once we get our snow, um, we're cold enough, we're high enough. Um, those clear skies really hold the snow in there. So once we get our snow right around Thanksgiving, maybe a tick before that, we'll be snow covered till early March. What are the emotions like when you see turf again, and where do you want the turf to be in March? You know, coming out, it's uh, I've never been one to, to, to really look ahead or look behind. I've always enjoyed the, the day I'm kind of in, and I love it when the snow falls. I love it in December when the, the wind howls and the bunkers get two-foot drifts on them. You know, I love it in February when the, the elk are crawling around red ledges and and there's big troughs and trenches we've dug down to the fairways to get some grass. You know, and in those first days when the, when the snow starts melting and there's water running down your fairway and you've got guys out there in galoshes chipping ice off of your drain basin so it has somewhere to go, I love those days just as much. And maybe it's a Western thing where you're you're looking forward to that hard work and the coming of the season where you can get out there and really make a difference um, for your members, for your owner and really put your team together, get some things done. Um, I like all those days, and hopefully when the turf comes out of winter, it's alive. That's a good start, right? <laughs> and we seem to do pretty good with that. The environment and, and having healthy turf um, really seems to help that out. How many people on your team do you keep around during the winter, and what are some of the, the projects they focus on when you have the big white blanket? So we have about 30 folks during the summer. Um, in the winter, we pair down to four of us. So it's a small crew in the wintertime. Um, and we keep most of our key people for about nine months. The nice thing about having Vale and some of the other ski resorts around us is there's a good um, seasonal work in, in both the golf course and the ski resorts. We've been able to, to tap into that a little bit. During the winter months, by the time we get our, our snow mold fungicides down and our, our um, irrigation blown out and our elk fences up, it's Thanksgiving, and, and we're ready to get into our equipment and, and do some of that work. But one of the fun things we do is we do do some tree trimming around here. And what we found is the most effective way to get around in the winter, even with a, you know, a steel 444, 5.5 horsepower chainsaw, is on cross-country skis. So we work a lot of the winter in cross-country skis. Where do I sign up for a job? 
Well, come on down. I'm uh, I'm always hiring. You can just come out and ski too if you want. Either way. In all seriousness, that sounds a lot of fun. And what are some other um, non-turf related things you do in the fall? Like, do you use that time to plan your applications for the next next year? Uh, how much planning and like office work are you doing during this period that begins in October? This sounds a little weird, but for me, the fall is 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 one of the best times I have for recruiting for the two thousand. 19 season, the next season. I mean, I've always looked at that time as a, a time to go out and find new employees, um, find folks that are that are moving to the area, find folks that are looking for something new, find folks that want to be part of a, a cool project and a cool team. And um, I don't want to say I hit the road looking for folks, but I, I police the, the valley canvas a little bit, try to try to go to different places and, and shake a few hands and, and see who we can find for the the next season, um, it doesn't matter what my plans are or what I know about agronomy or, or anything else. If we don't have the people that are that are ready and willing to, to be here on time, work hard, and go out and do those things. So, you know, part of it is, is looking for a new team. Part of it is evaluating how you did for that season so you can get ready for your budgeting season, all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, we I still like to get out there and work myself and, and do the things that uh, that I need to do, training the guys for the next season, um, even mow a green once in a while, see if I can remember how to start the thing. Um, so it's a nice time of year. Maybe even play a round of golf at our course now that things are kind of slowed down a little bit. When do the elk start coming onto the course? And I'm assuming that they're a bit of a nuisance, but they're also pretty majestic. Well, they're, they're both. Um, do you guys have elk herds up in Ohio? There's actually an elk herd in central Pennsylvania, which is the largest elk herd east of the Rockies, and it's probably about three and a half hours east of us. Okay. Have you ever seen it? Yes. I, I used to live in Pennsylvania, <laughs> and I, they actually have a state park called Elk State Park in Pennsylvania, and you, you do get to see them if you are there at the right time of year. Well, it's, uh, if, you, if you haven't seen it, it's something that you should do, whether it's at Red Ledges or at Elk State Park in Pennsylvania or the uh, National Elk Reserve in Jackson, Wyoming. I mean, they're beautiful, beautiful big animals, and and their bugle is such a unique sound. It's it's it, it almost doesn't seem like it would even come from an animal that big. It's this odd kind of honk almost. But at Red Ledges, we have about 300 resident elk, which will overwinter on and around the property, and they start coming down late October, and it's it's pretty neat when they come down. Um, we've always figured that our members and, and people in the valley came to Red Ledges in a lot of ways because of the wildness and the wilderness appeal of it. And we also figured that the elk were probably here before we built the golf course. So we're trying to, to coexist and really just simply keep them off our high-value turf, our, our greens and our tees. Other than that, um, kind of let them have at it and, and kind of encourage our members to go out and view them and, and see them and, and see what it's like to have 300 animals running down a frozen fairway and you can almost feel the ground rumble a little bit it's like going to one of those nascar races you know when they come around the corner and the whole stand shake it's kind of like that you can feel the frozen ground um just kind of rumble as they come running through and on those cold winter you know mornings you'll you almost smell them and and almost see the steam rising from them just breathing before you can even see them so it's it's uh, something i'm lucky to see a lot that's something our members are lucky to see, and it's it's a nuisance, but I think in a lot of ways it's what makes Red Ledges a great place to be. I think I read an interview with you or somebody that works at Red Ledges somewhere saying that the story of uh, Red Ledges kind of resembles the story of the American West. And you've kind of expressed enthusiasm with it throughout this podcast, but how cool is it to 
to work in an environment where you have four different seasons and see so many different outdoorsy type things? Well, I, it's 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 lucky. My I've always been lucky in this business to to be able to be around great people and live in great places. And um, Heber City, you know, I, I chose to come here because it's a great place and it, it allows you. Um, to see the snow melt, and it allows you to see the leaves change, and it allows you to go through those summer days where, where there's not a lot of rain up here in the desert. And I think all those um, are kind of what make the West what it is. And then you throw in being able to work with, with hardworking folks that, that grew up in this area that, that, knows, that know what it means to have calluses on their hands and, and knows what, know what it means to fight through the tough times. Um, it's a great place to grow up, and it's a great place to, I guess, go from a young man to an old man in some ways. Um, but I, I've been lucky to be around places like this, and I hope I can keep doing it. And I hope uh, they keep me around for a few more years, and and uh, we're able to see a few more elk herds kind of roll down and and uh, keep seeing what we can do here. Because it's been a, it's been a good run for ten years, and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I've been really lucky. Okay, one other burning question I have. Have you ever been able to play golf and ski on the same day? <laughs> I can do, let me think here. I would say about 60 days a year I can do that. What is that like? Is it exhausting, invigorating? I would think it would be pretty awesome. I'm not much of a golfer. I love the game and I love what it's about, but I'm a heck of a skier. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty close. To, it's pretty cool to be able to do both those things. You know, the nice things about about this area is you both have the ski resorts, which are great, incredible places to ski. But um, like most things, you also have your own two feet. So you can ski if you want to hike for it almost year-round. So um, if you're willing to put in some effort, um, go ski in the morning while the, the snow's still cold in June and get back to the golf course for, uh, for 18 holes. There's nothing better than it. Well, Pat, this was a lot of fun. Uh, you provided some great insight for our listeners. I think I'm going to go up to my boss's office now and try to convince him to start a Utah bureau for our company. <laughs> well, hopefully you come on down. I'd be happy to have you guys down here. So we'll, uh, we'll give you some Western hospitality and find you a nice office building. So you guys are more than welcome.